If you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard of the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. The time of the message this afternoon simply... Blessed with heavenly benefits. Blessed with heavenly benefits. Let's pray. And we'll, Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open our precious word. We pray as we look into the word of God that we'd be encouraged and challenged and strengthened in our walk with you. And that you would be glorified in your church through Christ Jesus. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we think about you know, our relationship with the Lord, of course, as we think about you know, the, from this morning... Uh, Christ died for our sins, and, and we have the, the privilege uh, to have eternal life in him and to be delivered from the very wrath of God. But Paul here writes to the church at Ephesus and talks about the benefits, not just benefits, heavenly benefits that we have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in verse 3, you know, we talked about the will of God last week from verses 1 and 2. But in verse 3, he uses the word blessed or blessing three times. The first blessed means, and they are similar, but they're a little bit different. The first word blessed, the first word of the verse 3 there is blessed. It means to be praised or praised be to God. That's the idea there. The second one, the word blessed, in uh, where it says, with hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings, that word blessed there means to cause to prosper. With every kind of blessing. Uh, and, and the spiritual blessings he's talking about are a, a concrete blessing or a concrete benefit. You know, it's, it's something that's real. It's something that has substance. It's not abstract. It's something that's real. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 26, the Lord told Israel, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. And if you go over to chapters 28 and 29, he talks about all the blessings that 
that he was going to give them if they would dwell in the land and obey his commandments. And, and you know, he said, I'll bless you in the field, and I'll bless you uh, the fruit of the womb, and I'll bless you your cattle. And, uh, you know, there was all kinds of, there was blessing after blessing after blessing if they would obey him and keep his commandments. But then he said, if you, didn't, if, you don't bless, if you don't obey me, then there's going to be cursing. And so those, those blessings or those benefits were real. And Israel experienced those when they obeyed him. And they didn't experience those when they didn't obey him. And so that's the idea here. And of course in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Galatians 3, 13 and 14, the Bible says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. There's written curses to everyone that hangeth on the tree, that the blessing or the benefit of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So again, we you know, God has promised to give us these heavenly blessings or these heavenly benefits. They are ours by virtue of the fact that we are his children. In fact, he goes on and says that he's predestinated them. Now that's a big word that a lot of people like to mess with and confuse people with. But if you notice in verse 5, he simply says, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. In other words, he's pre- God has predetermined for us to have these benefits. You know, predestination simply means appointed beforehand to obtain a thing. Uh, and it's, it's aorist tense, means it's an action, it's an ongoing action. Uh, someone has described it this will, the effective exercise of the will of God by which things before determined by him are brought to pass. Uh, for example, he uses that word in, in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. Uh, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, or in other words, he appointed beforehand for them to obtain a thing, or things. So, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of the Son, that we might, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So, God has appointed beforehand that we would be like, or, or, or become like, or be molded to the pattern of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, it's the exercise of a, it's an effective exercise of the will of God. And, and, and God does that by uh, uh, working in our lives. And many times it's through tribulation. You know, tribulation worketh patience. And every, if you let patience have it perfect work, you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. But, you know, we don't like that patience. You know, I was sitting there on Thursday night, and, you know, we were in the glory out there at the Bible conference. It was, it was just, everything was just great. But you know what? Not a whole lot gets done when you're in the glory. You, know, you, don't, you can't do a whole lot in the mountaintop. Nothing lives up there. I mean, things cross the mountaintop, but they don't stay there. They have to go to the valleys to get water and, and food. 
It's in the valleys where you can really live. And so it's tribulation that worketh patience. Paul said, and he wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 2, 12-13, he said, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation for fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And then he talked about some things they need to be doing. So it, predestination is simply an exercise of the will of God by which he is before determined things that should be brought to pass. So as we think about, these are the things that God desires for us, desires to bring to pass in our life some heavenly benefits. First of all, that we should be holy. Notice verse three, verse 4. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You know, one of the heavenly benefits that God has uh, predestined to give to us is that we should be holy. Uh, the word holy here means prepared for God with solemn rite, pure, clean. God wants us to be holy, holy vessels. Isaiah 52.11 says, Depart ye, depart ye, go ye out from thence, touch no unclean thing. Go you out of the midst of her, be ye clean, that bear the vessels of the Lord. 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21 says, In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. You know, if you will come to my house, there's, there's clean vessels and there's dirty vessels. There's honorable vessels, things that, that is put out for you to see. And then there's some things we don't want you to see. You know, we put them down in the shop. You know, the dirty boots and all, you know. They're, they're vessels, but they're not honorable ones. You know, the fine china is usually put out to sea. Uh, some of that. We don't have much of that china. We, leave it, we left it in China. Um, but, but anyway, so there's vessels of honor and some to dishonor. But he says, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, that means set apart, and meet, that means he's fit, for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. You know, God wants us to be holy vessels. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is the, really the essence of what Paul is describing here in this chapter to them, that God wants holy vessels. And when you cooperate or compromise or join up with the things and, and, and participate in the sins of the world, you are compromising your holiness. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11, he says, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. You are not straightened. That word straightened, of course, means to be restricted or hindered. You are not straightened in us, but you are straightened in your own bowels. You know, a lot of people think, well, you know, we need to join up with the world and, and compromise with the world and lower our standards so that we can gain the world. And that was the thinking of the Corinthians here. And Paul said, you're not, you're not enlarging yourself by doing that you're straightening yourself. You're restricting yourself. You're restricting your influence and your witness. You're hindering it. Because what you do is you lose the favor of God when you do that. You lose the favor of God. When Jehoshaphat joined up with Ahab, he lost the favor of God and the blessing of God. You know, the, when he came back, the prophet went out and said, why shouldst thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? 
So he said, you're not straightening us, but you're straightening your own bowels. Verse 13, now for recompensing the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You know, we don't have, uh, uh, we don't think that we have temples today where people go and offer sacrifices to false gods. And where they had shrine prostitutes. But really, in a sense, we still have that. There are false churches. And to join up with them, and that would be what they were doing here, join up with them in, in, in spiritual exercise, he said, is, is, is uh, uh, joining up with Belial or with an infidel. And so he says we're to be holy. They uh, just separate from these things. So God wants us to be holy vessels that are meet and fit for his use. See, he has given us that benefit you know, that we are made holy in Christ or righteous in the sight of God, and he wants our lives to be holy also. Secondly, the heavenly benefit is that our lives would glorify him. Notice verse 6 says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Now the word glory here is used about five times in these, this chapter, or the word glorify, glory or glorify, and this word glory here means majesty. Majesty in the sense of absolute perfection of the deity. Uh, it's the, it's some, the, the uh, one uh, dictionary described that the majesty of God as exhibited in deeds of power. You remember when, when Jesus uh, was at the grave of Lazarus and, and, and he, was, he, 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 uh, he asked him to roll the stone away and, and, Mar- and Martha, was, Martha said, uh, 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 you know, by now he stinketh. And she was trying to keep him from, from rolling that stone away. And he said this. Said I not unto thee that thou wouldst believe. Thou shouldest see the glory of God. You want to see the majesty of God? You have to believe. You have to trust him. You have to trust him with your life. You know, what was Martha's issue? She really didn't quite get it when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. She didn't quite comprehend that. That's why she said, don't roll the stone away. But Jesus said, if you want to see my majesty, if you want to see my glory demonstrated, you've got to believe. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Romans 6, verse 4, says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory, and that's the word there, and it means majesty, the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk 
in the, in the, in the newness of life. So, so you see here, God's glory or His majesty was demonstrated by the fact that Christ was raised up from the dead. And, and, and our, our baptism is a picture of that. And, and we should walk in that newness or that, that glory of life uh, since we've been saved and, uh, and buried our old life with Him. So our lives, then, should be a demonstration of the majesty and the glory of God. Uh, you know, again, notice he says that, speaks of that in verse 6, and then again in verse 12, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. And again, verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. And verses 17 and 18, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. So, you know, our lives should glorify Him. They should be a demonstration of the majesty and the glory of God. In Philippians chapter 4, in verse 13, a very familiar verse, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And he was talking about the fact that he had, he had endured times of want, and he had endured times of plenty, or abounding. And he was saying that through, the, through the, 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 the presence of God working in life, I was able to demonstrate the glory of God in both. You know, for us it's not as hard or as difficult to praise God when we're in abundance. But when things are difficult and things are tight, you know, we're just like the children of Israel. We start complaining. We start murmuring. We start wondering. Does God really know what I'm going through? And Paul said, you know, I was, I, I've learned. Notice he said, I have learned. <laughs> Again, you learn that by tribulation. You know, there's an interesting verse in Hebrews that said that, that, he, that, that our Lord Jesus Christ learned obedience by the things which he suffered. You know, some people say, I've heard this excuse. I can't change. That's just the way I am. No, it's just God is not preeminent in your life. Therefore, His majesty is not seen. There's a guy in Maine who say, well, that's just the way I am. No, it isn't the way you are. It's just the way you want to be. It's the choices you make. And so, so our lives should glorify Him. You know, we have been. You think of it, we have been accepted by God. That word accepted means to pursue with grace, to compass with favor, and honor with blessings. You know, God has, God has pursued us with His grace. In other words, you think about it, think about somebody pursuing you or coming after you. You know, Bradley was pretty pursuing after Amber a few months back. <laughs> Got to keep it up. Uh, you know, you know he, was, he was pursuing her. And, 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 and the Lord, it says here, the, 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 the word accepted means to pursue with grace. God's grace is, is, uh, is uh, toward us. It's for us. He wants to honor us with blessings uh, and favor. Speaking to Mary, the angel said unto her, came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. 
The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. You know, so God favored her, or, or she was accepted. God pursued her with his grace. And so our lives should then glorify the Lord. After all, we're highly favored. So we see the heavenly benefits that we have, that we should be holy, our lives should glorify Him. Third thing that He benefit we have is that we, He wants us so that we would know the forgiveness of God. Notice verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Uh, so God wants us to know the forgiveness of of our sins. We're, you know, the, the pardon, uh, the word forgiveness means pardon of sins properly, the letting go, letting them go, as if they had been not been committed. So, so when we receive Christ as the Lord and Savior, God lets them go. You remember one of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they had the scapegoats, and one of the goats they killed and poured the blood out at the altar the other one they let go, and they would, they would, the, the priest would lay his hands on it and pray on that goat the sins of Israel, and then they let it go by a fit man into the wilderness. It's a picture of Christ taking away our sins. They're gone. He's let them go. The psalmist said, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. He says, for the remission of sins, uh, the, the, uh, you know, the, it means remission, uh, it, it, the forgiveness here means remission of their penalty. And of course, remission means the relinquish of a payment or an obligation. We're no longer obligated. I am no longer obligated to pay for my sin. And that's a wonderful truth that God wants us to know. God doesn't want us walking around feeling guilty all the time. You know, guilty people don't do anything. Psalm 32, David said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. Look at Romans chapter 4 for just a moment. Romans chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Romans 4, 6 through 8. Uh, Paul here quotes David. And the psalmist, in Romans 4, 6 through 8, he says, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the favor or the benefit of the man, unto whom God imputeth righteousness that works, saying, Blessed are they whose, sins, whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And of course, the word impute means to account or to pass to one's account. So he says, you know, we are blessed to know that the Lord does not put my sin on my account. You know, we should know this. God wants us to know this in salvation. He also wants us to know it in our daily walk. You know, though we've been saved and all our sins are under the blood of Christ, yet from, you know, we get defiled in our daily walk. And our fellowship is hindered. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, you know, think about this. The justice of God 
requires him that when I confess my sins, that word confess means to agree with God. When I confess my sins, God is obligated on the merits of Jesus Christ that he forgive my sins. Clear the guilty. You see, we can know that not only in our salvation, but in our daily walk. You know, we call that keeping short accounts with the Lord. Walking in fellowship with Him. See, God wants us to know that we have the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. That is a great benefit. Fourthly, we have the benefit of to know or experience the wisdom of God. Notice verse 8. Wherein he hath abounded. Now, it's not just that we have a little bit of wisdom available to us. It's abounding. There's abounding wisdom available to us. He says, abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Uh, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So God has abounded toward us, or wants us to know, the wisdom of God. Uh, the word wisdom here means a knowledge of the divine plan, previously hidden of providing salvation for men by the expiratory death of Christ, or the, the substitutional death of Christ. So God has given us, through his Son, through his word, the knowledge of his divine plan. How many people do you know know that? Is it the majority? No, it's not. And God reveals that to us and wants and desires that we would know that. The wisdom of God. His divine plan. Uh, and he says also, uh, in wisdom and prudence. The word prudence is similar to wisdom. But the word prudence is described this way as understanding or knowledge and a holy love of the will of God. So God wants us to know his plan for the redemption of all mankind. And that's really the context here. Verse, verse 9 says, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Now, when, he's thinking of, when he talks about a mystery, you know, a mystery is something that was before hidden but is now revealed. You know, I used to read uh, Hardy Boys mysteries, you know. And the beginning of the book, there was always a mystery. But if you read the first chapter and the last chapter, you, you have the mystery solved. I didn't do that, but, you know, that's the way some people read. But I never did that. But uh, um, I can't say I never did that. But, but, you know, there's always a beginning of the book, a mystery, something that is not known, but till you got to the end of the story, the mystery, it was revealed. And that's what a mystery is. And... And Paul was given uh, uh, by the Spirit of God the unveiling, you might say, of the mystery that was hidden in dispensations past. And, and the hidden mystery was that, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, that's what we're living in, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. And, of course, he's talking about the Jew and the Gentile. You know, we were talking about, Brother Hoyle was bringing out in Sunday school class how how, you know, Peter in Acts chapter 10 was directed to go to a, to a Gentile, which they wouldn't have anything to do with. Even Jesus said, it's not 
meat to cast, you know, the pearls, the dogs or something. I forget exactly the word says, but the the Gentile lady said, but but they do lick the crumbs that fall off the master table. And and but but Peter, you know, they, the, the, he was they would only go to the Jews, but the Lord directed him. You know, this mystery is God's opening the gospel is to all men, not just to Jews. And he's going to gather together in one. You know, one of these days he's going to call us all home. See, it's not a mystery anymore. And we can understand that. You know, you and I have the privilege of knowing what the future holds. And we don't have to live in fear. Constant fear. You know, the world's afraid, much of the world is afraid that the, the glaciers are all going to melt and we're all going to be flooded with water all the way to New York somewhere, you know, or something. Now, I know that's not going to happen. This world isn't melting until the Lord melts it. In fact, Genesis tells you that some, winter and summer, winter and, how does it say that? Winter and fall, uh, spring, summer, fall, anyway. He mentions all four seasons that they would continue. That they would continue until the end of time. The Lord changes it. You know, the Lord, one of these days, we are going to have some global warming. But it's after I leave this world. And if you're saved, it's after you leave this world. God's going to bring about, He's going to redo the earth and melt it with fervent heat. But there isn't going to be any, that isn't going to happen until the Lord comes. See, how do we know that? It's the wisdom of God. We know His divine plan. And we can know through His divine plan that we have assurance of eternal life and going to be with, with Him forever. Because it's all in His plan that He's given to us. And we can understand our purpose in His plan. Notice verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. You know, we can talk about all day about what's in the future, but there, he has a will for us right now. And his will for us, his plan for us as a church and how we can glorify him and demonstrate his majesty to the world is to be a witness and testimony for him and, and to give the gospel to those that haven't heard. To tell them the good news so that they too might understand the wisdom and glory of God. You see, we can know. We can have that wisdom. Because He's abandoned toward us. He desires to give it to us by His grace and by His favor since we are accepted in the Beloved. And then I want you to notice a fifth thing here. No, we have the wisdom, but we also have the assurance guaranteed by the Spirit. Notice verses 13 and 14. It says, In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. Excuse me, a couple of things I want to note here. First of all, we are sealed by the Spirit of God. The word sealed means to set a mark upon by 
the impress of a seal. To stamp. Uh, to stamp his servants on, his, on their foreheads as destined for eternal salvation and by this means confirm their hopes. You know, Revelation talks about he's going he's to put a seal upon their foreheads, 144,000 during the tribulation period. Now, we don't, have, we don't have outward seals or stamps on our foreheads or on our bodies anywhere. But God has sealed us with his Holy Spirit of promise. And, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a mark, if you will, or an impression of a seal. Um, it's an active seal. This is an aorist tense, which means it's active. Um, 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You know, when somebody put a seal on something, for example, if they were, you know, Nehemiah, Nehemiah talks about them sending out letters and with a king's signet. They would put some melted wax on, on, the, on the letter and then the king would take his, his ring and make an impression in that wax. That was his seal. And that letter was not to be opened by anyone except to whom it was addressed. It had the authority of the king. You know, we've been sealed with the authority of the king by the Spirit of God that bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You know, the Spirit of God does bear witness. Now, I'm not trying to be creepy here. But you know, you think about it in the book of Acts. The Spirit said to Philip, Go down to, um, yeah, I can't even remember what it was now. Go out in the desert. Go out in the desert. And then he said, go near to that chariot. Now, I don't believe that the Spirit of God talks to us in an audible voice. But I believe he does impress us in accordance with the will of God sometimes to do things. Acts chapter 13. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting and praying, the Spirit said, Separate me, Saul and Barnabas, for the work whereunto have called thee. You know, when I was at that Bible conference, Pastor Robert Sargent, he had about five or six people there from his church with him. One of them was his son, Jeremiah Sargent. And, and, and a couple years ago, the Lord impressed upon them to start uh, churches in the, the islands of the South Pacific. Um, around Fiji and, and uh, um, uh, there's, I think there's like, I think he said there's 3,000 islands out there. Many of them have no gospel. Some of them have had, had gospel 100 years ago or so. But the Lord impressed them. In other words, the Spirit of God was directing them. In a sense, the Spirit of God was saying to them, because that's what the Word of God commands. We're to go into the, all the world to preach the gospel. So again, it was in accordance with the will of God. Uh, so, so we have that. We have that. Uh, what was I getting at? The uh, uh, Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit. So we have the seal of the Spirit of God. 
So we are sealed, and, and notice we're sealed under the day of redemption. Flip, or Ephesians 4.30 tells us that. And, and then in, and he goes on and says in verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Now, God has saved us. We are saved for all eternity right now. But the final stage of our salvation hasn't happened yet. You know, Nathan Jacqueline just bought a house. And they put some earnest money down. They put some earnest money down. That earnest money puts them in the house. But the completion of all of it, as far as complete payment or final uh, uh, possession, you might say, is not finished until the rest of it. You know, we, we, you know when people buy a house, they always put, well, how much, you know, a realtor often asks, how much earnest money are you going to put down? You know, that's demonstrating that you, that you desire or you want that house or that you, and, and it's, it's an assurance that there is more to come. The earnest, it says money which is in purchases is given as a pledge that the full amount will be, will subsequently be paid. And so the gift of the Spirit of God that God gives to us is a foretaste and a pledge of future blessedness. You know, God has saved us and delivered us from the wrath to come He's delivered us from the penalty of sin. He's delivered us from the uh, uh, power of sin. And one day He's going to deliver us from the very presence of sin. And that part hasn't happened yet. We're still here. But the Spirit of God is the earnest or the assurance that that part will be brought to pass. It's coming. Paul spoke of this in two other places in, uh, in the book of Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, he says, Who has sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. And then also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, he says, Now he that hath wrought us the selfsame thing as God, who also hath given us unto us the earnest of the Spirit, therefore, so because we have this earnest, therefore we are always confident, knowing that, while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. So we have this benefit then of the assurance guaranteed us by the Spirit of God. We've been sealed and the Spirit is the earnest or the pledge that one day this redemption will be completed and the purchased possession that Christ purchased, we are His purchased possession, we are His peculiar people. That's what that word peculiar really means in Peter. We're a peculiar purchased possession. And one day this, this purchased possession will be taken to be with Him. We will go to be with Him. And the Spirit of God is that assurance. John tells us in 1 John chapter 3, 
1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Beloved, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as pure he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for the sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. You know, there's no sin in him. And you know, when we go to be with him, we're going to be like him. There will be no sin in us. I wonder what that's going to be like. No sin in us. We're going to be like him when we go to be with him. And see, we have the earnest, the assurance that purchase possession will be brought to pass, the redemption of that purchase possession. So you see, we have these heavenly benefits given to us by God. We've been accepted. We have His favor. You read about Joseph and Daniel, or two that really stick out in my mind. Joseph was favored. Wherever he went, he found favor. He was favored by God. Daniel was called at least three times beloved of the Lord. And Daniel lived in very hard circumstances. But he found the favor of God. He found acceptance with God. And and the wisdom of God that he had. Why? Because he walked with God. Even in his difficult circumstances. So, you know, we have been made accepted. God has revealed his will to us. And of course, we are to occupy until he comes for us. Fulfilling his will, carrying on his work that he began. Taking the gospel to those around us that don't know Christ as our Lord and Savior. And sharing and manifesting his glory before a lost and dying world. Beloved, we have, we are blessed in heavenly places with spiritual blessings. And might we rejoice in those blessings.